Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Coming Through the Matrix on the 20th of March 2016. I've often questioned sayings that come down generation to generation, uh, such as you can fool some people some of the time, but not all of the people all of the time. And even at school I used to play with these things in my head by looking around me and, and uh, did it fit what I saw in life and so on. And I thought, well, there are many ways you could add to that or change it. Like you can fool some of the people some of the time, but you can fool yourself all of the time. And that really has become rather firm in my life because I've watched people, some people that you'll know sometimes from school onwards, who never change in their opinions and their sudden decisions to agree with or disagree with what's put out there for them to quibble about, basically, by media masters and the propagandists of our age, who've always existed in different generations, of course. They're often they're intergenerational, in fact. And psychopaths, for instance, who always crave power from all levels of society, it doesn't matter what so-called class they're born into or circumstances, they all create the same things. They're often very street smart too, even at low levels, they can cut through things which are meant to fool everybody else and they'll often see themselves what the benefit is to whom of any particular con game that's going on. And therefore, they're natural con artists. They live with their ego being supreme. Them, just just me, basically. It's me. It's all about me. What do I want? How do I get what I want? Who's in my way to get what I want? How do I get rid of that person in my way to get up the ladder? Uh, and so on. But they're also masters at watching those around them and how they can manipulate. They're constantly testing people around them, testing them out to see if they can manipulate them in different ways. And they understand, without reading a darn book about it, how the herd psychology works with leaders and followers and things like that. And some of them become awfully successful by using this this particular technique. Politicians know it as well, because many of them are actually psychopaths. And they're run by psychopaths way above the whole arena of politics, of course. But they, they want to get up there and have people call them the honorable this and the honorable that, or the esteemed or whoever it happens to be. They like the, the accolades they get, the applause from different publics. And they love uh, to have their ego flattered all the time. And you'll get ones, again, who can apply themselves into various sciences. Uh, many of them work in the, the lethal bacterial and warfare industry and biowarfare industry without a qualm about it. And they get lots of accolades as well from their peer groups for changing some bacteria or virus into some deadly killer that might or might not be used in the future against some enemy, even if the enemy happens to be the public of their own countries. 
so psychopaths have always really been in the forefront of things. And there are even psychologists today who admire the psychopath down through the ages for coming to the head of any particular movement which changes history, basically. The, the, the warrior types at the very top that uh, say all the right things because they always understand what you want to hear, like a politician, you see. And they can become generals through the ages and emperors and, and all the rest of it down through the ages. And they live a, they, they don't go. It's quite interesting to me because in all ages, from even the, the early histories we have, which again, remember, two are written by their own personal propagandists, or your head comes off. Today, uh, you can't get up the ladder as a journalist or a historian without being part of the establishment and seeing the things you're supposed to say, and definitely not saying the things that are taboo in any particular generation or in that, that particular era. And we have them today as well, of course. So there's no such thing really as free inquiry into anything. Universities are an absolute joke, in fact, because uh, they're, they're thoroughly meant to completely engineer you. Just look at all the officially agreed-upon non-governmental organizations and radicalization that goes on inside them, and, and the ones that are authorized to be there. And, uh, of course, many uh, can't get in to get an organization started up if it's not in the particular agenda of the moment all agreed upon by the masters who rule us all. And we do have masters of confusion. Uh, that's how you rule people, is by confusion and fear. You wouldn't have governments if you didn't have constant fear, fear of th- war, invasion, and things like that, you see. And uh, today they also use the economic fear as well. And they have uh, uh, all kinds of threats. And when they can't find one, they make one up, or make many up, in fact, like, well, you might get hit by an asteroid tomorrow. We've got to tax you more to create weapons in space that's going to attack the asteroids. And, of course, it's a con to be used for other weapons in space, like all the stuff that's watching you and satellites, etc. So you're always given false information that creates fear, and you're guided by, again, professional yappers, I call them, uh, who you're taught are experts in things to come and tell you why you should believe what they're telling you. Now, psychopaths can definitely band together and work together. The old adage that that there's no honor amongst thieves is true to an extent. It's also false to an extent because when you have very clever psychopaths getting together and creating a little band of whatever it happens to be or association of whatever it happens to be, Uh, they can definitely set out rules, you see, especially if they've had an awfully good education, something that's generally denied to the general public. And especially, too, if they're the offspring of psychopaths. Down through the ages, the, the aristocracy was filled with psychopaths. And they mated the men and the women together from psychopathic families that generally won their power by the sword and all the rest of it, by slaughtering everybody else around them. Uh, therefore, they, they definitely had those traits in them, and they passed them on, of course. But they can, 
quibble amongst themselves because you're fighting other psychopaths to get rid of their families, to grab their power too in their kingdoms and all that kind of thing. Nothing really changes. They've always used different terms to cover what they're really after, uh, such as the Romans were going to civilize the world and stop the barbarians. Now, there was, there was no one more barbaric than the Romans, you see. And a, an incredible class system, too. And you always use a, a military base, basically. You can breed whole sections of society for the military. That's never been forgotten, and it's always been used. The techniques of whipping people up in a frenzy to get them off and, to go off and fight for the establishment of whatever era is is a well-known art and taught by strategists today and always used over and over again. So the reasons for warfare are always false, you see. So you'll find that real truth in history doesn't matter. And even uh, propagandists of different eras that, that created the propaganda for going to wars have come out later and said, it doesn't matter, we, we, it's a better system now anyway, sort of thing regardless of the massive slaughters they created and poverty and starvation and displacement and everything else. So psychopaths can always rationalize whatever they do. Uh, Alexander the Great, all the ridiculous propaganda about Alexander and many others apart from him, of course. Now I've given talks before about psychopaths down through the ages. And cultural psychopaths, too. Some, some cultures have more psychopaths in them than others. And you find, too, there's also different strata of power, you see. In a system where money rules everything, those who run the money system traditionally will always beat the top of any particular system. Because with that money, they can give their own children the best education, put, get them placed into the best universities. And there's many ways to do that, nothing to do with your high grades or anything else. And you can also make sure that governments obey you because governments are taught in this system to always to go and borrow money from the big boys who, who literally have always managed money. Not that any nation should have to borrow money at all outside of itself because when you look at the amount of taxes open and hidden that, you, that any nation collects internally, it's, it's incredible incredible amounts that they have. The reason, too, of the military-industrial complex being in bed, and then actually, uh, actually you'll, you'll find that many of the top banks, the top ones in the world, the real money lenders and institutions that lend privately to nations, you, you'll find that they often own uh, many military-industrial national complexes. So it works together, of course, because with what they call progress, they have different meanings in different areas for progress. It's always what they define as progress. Getting better technology to create progress is awfully important to them because it's not a matter today of buying a few spears and shields and things and renting a few boats to get them over and attack France or something like that, you've got to have standing armies. And standing armies are very expensive. You've got to be fully equipped, enclosed, maintained, uh, barracked, and so on, 
and supply lines and all that. But today, it's all this high-tech equipment they've got. Aircraft was a fantastic, fantastic thing for them because of the cost of them in all times. And before that, it was, it was heavy, heavy, heavy artillery, of course. The Krupps manufacturer of Germany was the biggest one in the world at one time and supplied many countries that led up to World War I with all their heavy, big, big, big guns. Massive things. And very expensive. Today, it's the top fighter jets and top drones. Some of these fighter jets are not just in the millions, but they're even talking about prototypes that are going to go into billions of dollars for one. All coming from the taxpayer. So progress is guaranteed, since it's run by those who already own the system, the entire system, to stay the same for themselves. There's never been a power that voluntarily gives itself up and says, okay, I've had it all this time, now I'll give it all to you, and it doesn't happen. And it never will. Now when you get very clever psychopaths with their education from the right families who already own the banking systems, the trading systems, they own shipping lines for trade and so on, they own the factories. They never have never been in them. They just own stacks of them. And they also own the military-industrial complex. And then they own your government, basically. Then they always have big plans. And many of them got together in the 1800s. Probably before that, too, but we have records of them in the 1800s forming their, their vision of the future of a global system. Even earlier... Because Benjamin Franklin talked about the U.S. And believe you me, when you're given your foundation myths in any nation, you can become homicidal when someone points out other details that's been left out of their indoctrinations. But Benjamin Franklin said that the U.S., or the United States of America, the Federation of America, uh, was going to be the nucleus for a federation of the world. And after America got its independence, or they thought they had, he also wrote lots of letters, which have been collected, of course, talking about part of the mythology of the foundation of the country. Uh, and he mentioned quite blatantly, it wasn't any spontaneous uprising. It took 20 years or more to plan. And to, to secretly bring in arms in different areas, and even islands off the coast, were stockpiled uh, gunpowder, firearms and ball and all the rest of it, for something to come. And, of course, it was fomented by this organization, of uh, revolutionary Freemasonry. Again, an organization where lower members haven't a clue who's at the very top running it all. But um, much has been let out of the bag. You also see the symbology of the United States. Of course, there's been lots of things, and I've started stuff years ago. Many people have taken it over on the symbology of uh, the various statues and so on.
and engravings and, and sites of buildings inside the U.S. But uh, you'll you also find that even the symbols of their seal is full of things. Some are never talked about. Many are things are talked about all the time and what they mean, of course. But remember, at the top of any coat of arms, such as Europe, for instance, with the old royalties and etc., you always had the crown at the top. And a coat of arms, whatever's at the very top, tells you who rules the nation. Always think about that. Think about it. When it's semi-obscured, but easily detected if you really know how to look, then it, it represents a hidden hand, as they call it. And uh, that was also in Francis Bacon's New Atlantis, of course, that there'd be a, a secret governmental rule ruling the nation, this super Atlantis, this new one. And uh, the, the general population of that nation would be unaware of it, you see. And in Britain, of course, we all had the organizations. And Britain's very fascinating when you think about it because the organization that was called the Milner Group had different names to Lord Alfred Milner, who basically, along with the Rhodes Foundation, Cecil Rhodes Foundation, merged eventually. And, and came out as the Royal Institute for International Affairs, Council on Foreign Relations, specialized branches such as CG and uh, trilateral, and so on, different ones for different purposes, and many other ones, in common purpose, in fact. Uh, really run the push for the world with all the top, all the top editors belonging to it. That's so important to standardize the same information that they want you to believe. And you also have the members who give you the curriculums to be taught in school, universities, and all the rest of it. You're living in a complete system, you understand, that's guided by those at the top towards a common goal. And they do want global governance, but they don't want you to have what you would call individually as freedom. Even today, you don't have freedoms to even say or, th- or even ask questions about various topics. It's just forbidden, you see, by law. And that's crazy when you can't ask a question. And certainly some people will go overboard and go radically nuts if they, they go into certain areas. It means they're pre-chosen to believe whatever they, they, they find out, uh, like a cause or a religion or something like that. So you're always, so, so it's true, some people... And you have to accept that in a true free society. Some people become crazy uh, when they find out things they didn't know before. And they get very angry and all the rest of it. So you, you can't say everyone is the same. We're not all the same. We're, we're very, very different. Different natures, personalities, and all the rest of it. But the group of the Royal Institute for International Affairs, based in Chatham House in England, uh, that was their, their headquarters, uh, was also, during World War II, the main place, that was the headquarters for the OSS that became uh, MI6 and CIA afterwards, you see. So an uh, establishment set up to 
bring in and guide the world through all the techniques available of power, the whole world into a global governance system. Some of their personal, and they did have personal historians for their own group, because they have their own version and a real history version of how they brought things about, including world wars, by the way, and why they did it, and what their goals were. And they were often mistaken, according to one of their historians, who was in charge of their archives, Professor Carl Quigley. He, he mentioned they were often mistaken for communists, especially in the United States, because we have the same kind of goals. It was well known, too, that they did finance the, the, the Bolshevik Revolution, and sent lots of money and trained people over there to uh, get the revolution going. And you'll find different inquiries it did in the United States too, to do with the anti or uh, un-American activities and so on. They found out and got massive backlashes about it uh, that the people who were, who were being accused were also members of the Council on Foreign Relations the American branch of the Royal Institute for International Affairs. Their goals have never changed. Whenever you see and you read a document where it says that this NGO, this group, whatever it happens to be, is governed by the rules of Chatham House, that belongs to the same organization, including common purpose, with a specialized role to play, you see. Now, the reason I'm touching on this tonight is because their goal always, one of their goals was was always to bring in a world government, going way back into the 1800s. But a guided world government under their rule, you see. A governmental system which is often mistaken for communist, but it's run by the richest people on the planet who control the money systems. That's always been the way of it. Always remember that. And some of their top members, like Curtis, Lionel Curtis, was quite specific in his own writings about bringing in a world of servitude. That was the greatest honor anyone could do for their, for, for their, for their system of world governments was to serve the system. The same propaganda, of course, that one of their big players in the U.S., David Rockefeller, has said many times too. Servitude. Servitude. Now, the topics I'm going to cover tonight, which are happening currently, basically, is another part of the big strategy and the big plan of the same organization, that's officially admitted it's been in charge, officially, since the, the 1800s, of the entire system of the West. And also includes Australia and East and New Zealand too, and a few other countries. They're, com- they're, they're really pushing now for the next big part of their plan. Now, part of their plan was the same as Marx advocated too, 
three world trading blocks. And the trading blocks would tie all their legal systems together. They'd have to bring in uh, commissions to deal with disputes. And eventually they'd amalgamate into one government for each block. And under a world government. The same, isn't it amazing? The same system that the Lord Alfred Milner Group, Cecil Rhodes Foundation, and which blossomed into the Royal Institute for International Affairs, Council of Foreign Relations, and its other specialized branches, trilaterals and so on, are pushing for. You understand we've been living through their big long agenda. And yes, they have they own they own and run everything that gives you your reality, including your education. And your entertainment, by the way. Because you get more indoctrination for entertainment than ever, any other, other means, since you don't expect to be indoctrinated when you think you're being entertained. Your guard is down, your firewall's down. So that's a very, very brief, brief intro into tonight's topics. For all the rest of the details in depth, you have to go through cutting through com, And the archive section has thousands of talks over many years I've given out on different radio stations and so on. And, uh, and when it's always verifiable, I only give out stuff you can verify for yourself. I don't speculate because if you really want to know, you, you've got to do the digging and you've got to come to understand things for yourself. Remember, if you simply adopt someone else's opinions, you're being used. You're, not, you're given a brain to be used by yourself. And that's where uh, the big revolutionary foundations or fronts like the Freemasons, with Albert Pike at one time saying that, that the person, the man who doesn't use his own mind, his own intellect, is therefore a stick on the table and a beast of burden by choice and consent. He's referring to those who adopt the opinions that are laid out for them to adopt by, today we call them experts in their fields and all the rest of it, and um, they don't want to think for themselves. So behind this organization... Uh, Council on Foreign Relations, Royalty for International Affairs, Common Purpose, CG, a whole bunch of them all associated with the same base, basically, and trilaterals and all the rest of it. Behind it all is a goal to take over all of the world's resources. Remember, Cecil Rhodes was far more explicit in the aims than, than uh, the Milner Group, to the outsiders, that is. Because he had an awful ego and he couldn't help boasting about it. But uh, at that time they used the British Empire, I mean the taxpayers that they paid for soldiers that would go over, seize, conquer countries like India and parts of Africa and other places. And, and did police it all so that the big boys who owned Britain could take over the resources of the nation. The taxpayers would put in the railroad lines and transportation, would pay for it all. And of course the big corporations at the time got it all for nothing. Uh, that's how things worked. It still works the same today. All the stuff about invasions of the Middle East have different purposes, of course. And because the big, the big boys always believe what else can we achieve with this? Uh, 
and they can, they've got different goals to achieve across the Middle East. They've been quite blatant about it. Kissinger and Brzezinski were at odds at one point, and that was um, what kind of system would they leave behind in the Middle East. And one of them said quite blatantly a few times he'd rather have it completely demolished, basically, until the folk had no form of, of uh, unified governance or national governance, and then they couldn't be, ever become strong and be dysfunctional forever. They keep them fighting amongst themselves. That's been fulfilled pretty well today. And there's, there's other places that want to clear off for, uh, so that another group can move in. And they grab the oil fields and yada, 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 and all the resources. O- old story going way back to ancient times to the present time. And they're not ashamed of uh, doing this, of course. The ones at the top want you to live under a, a super bureaucratic class. And trained in a very dysfunctional, very clever actually, because through dysfunction and confusion, you're all led up the garden path. That's what they, they do. And that's why you're at an age of hyper-confusion right now. Right down to gender differences and all this kind of stuff. Which one time there was no problem at all identifying what was what. It's all done on purpose. And all stems from the same sources the same foundations all belong to the same organization, this one organization. Everything has a purpose. So here's some topics tonight. Rather than prattling on forever. But you're more current, of course, to show you what's, how this ties in with what I'm talking about. Now here is some of the present confusion put out by media. And believe you me, everything that the establishment gives out to you has so many holes and lies in it. So here you you go, another BBC Brexit, that's Britain leaving the EU vote that's coming up. Bias row, you see. Clear evidence of the Beebs, they call it the BBC, is a Beeb, in favour of remaining in the EU. A major investigation has revealed that BBC coverage of the EU referendum is heavily biased towards remaining in the EU camp, basically. And uh, uh, analysed 40 editions of Newsnight on the BBC, this investigation. And um, it was done by Newswatch, an organisation that's been monitoring the BBC for impartiality for the past 16 years. Well, they haven't done a very good job of it or anything, actually. Analyzed items focusing on the EU referendum in 40 editions of Newsnight between 16th January and 12th of March. It says, The BBC, which is funded by the licence fee pair, is required by its charter to offer impartial coverage. What a lie that is. You see, the British Commonwealth countries always have a main news station, radio and television, giving you all kinds of things, some entertainment, but it's always indoctrination to feel guilty about this or bad about that or so, and, and all the very, in fact, it would, it would drive um, a lot of people to suicide watching the rubbish they put out there as entertainment, same in Australia and other countries too. But anyway, it's impartial. And also I read some articles a few years ago to do with the BBC selling off shares. And you see, in the British Commonwealth countries, you've got a strange thing called um, crown uh, institutions, 
or corporations. Crown. And anything about the Crown is given a charter, you see. But also, there's also a certain amount of private shares that are never to be published to the public who owns them, uh, given off. But it did come out that the CIA in America had bought some of them, in fact. Quite interesting. So it's required, it's funded by the licensed fee payer, right? <laughs> However, the analysis of 25 feature items about the EU referendum on its flagship news program revealed that it's been given twice as much space to pro-EU supporters staying in the EU. Now remember, that's one of the prime things of the CFR. Who drafted up the whole idea and, and eventually the, the, the treaties to be signed to create the EU in the first place? This private organization, Royal Institute for International Affairs, drafted it all up and gave it to their, their lackeys in the government to sign. They did the same thing with NAFTA, and they came out on television in Canada and, and admitted it. And it's the same bunch behind all the other treaties you've got, and free trade and all the rest of it, which are meant to amalgamate you into a common system, run by one government, you see, eventually. It says, an astonishing finding Newswatch has observed that in one, uh, on one interview on the referendum, there have been 12 supporters of Remain compared to only six who were in favour of leaving the, the EU. And that's all I want to say about that. You see, anything that's establishment is not going to give you uh, any truth on anything, because they definitely aren't anything but impartial, anything but impartial. They're completely Chatham House rules and all the rest of it, and how it's run, the agenda it's run upon, and all the rest of it. And the, the heads of the BBC, and they all know this too. A great thing in this old imperial system is that they always work to get an, uh, uh, an OBE or a, or, a, or a knighted as a sir or something too. That's part of the bene- added benefits of playing the game. And then you have Mark Carney, who's now heading the Bank of England, supposedly, who previously that did musical chairs as he, he was the head of the Bank of Canada, trained again by Goldman Sachs, you see. Way up there, belong to the same organisations, obviously. And it's, it's the job of the Governor of the Bank of England to provide economic forecasts, Mark Carney does so every quarter, with London's financial sector hanging on every word and every movement of his eyebrows. There's no politics involved, ha ha ha. Just sober analysis of where the country's economy is heading. Well, it's been heading <laughs> into the abyss for, for as long as I can ever remember. Anyway, it's about politics found Mr. Carney on Tuesday when he stepped in an angry argument over Britain's future in the European Union. It's a debate uh, that now has prominent members of Britain's business community as well as the country's ruling Conservative Party, which is a big joke too, attacking one another personally and in public. And Carney was accused of political partisanship after he told the House of Commons committee that the possibility that Britons might vote to leave the EU in June 23rd referendum was the biggest domestic risk to financial stability. So now they, they gave the same things out before about joining the EU in the first place and all the rest of it. Uh, 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 if you don't join, you'll be left behind. You've, Canada got the same, exact same uh, slogans thrown at them and all the rest of them for NAFTA and you get the GATT, uh, you've got the, the, the Free Trade Agreement and all that. But don't bother getting them anymore, of course, like Trans-Pacific Partnership. We're not giving any vote on anything. 
So it's, so they've got us all well trained now. We don't bother getting, we don't even think about not getting asked. So here, if you, if you leave it, you'll, go, you'll be broke. Before, when you joined it, um, uh, it was going to be fantastic. So much money for everybody. In our, look at the state of Britain today. Massive welfare system. Massive international uh, place to go now and live from countries across the world, well, slightly countries across the planet. Etc., etc. And Karen said the Bank of England would not make a recommendation as to which way people should vote, but he predicted that a leave vote could lead to a short-term slump in economic growth. What growth? What growth? As well as a rise in inflation. Etc., etc. And that's how they terrify you, you see. Confusion is how they rule you to get their way. Now I'll just touch on common purpose. I've given talks on this too. Years ago, archive section again in CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. And it says here, it's a British-founded charity. Lie, you see, right off the bat. It runs leadership development programs around the world. Leadership development programs, right? And it says Common Purpose UK is a subsidiary of Common Purpose. Now, they had a, an organization, again, set up by the same Chatham House bunch uh, that was also uh, to work through Britain and, and create a popular opinion not for joining the EU. For years in advance, they, they worked hard on all that. But the big goal, too, is world government, because it's the same group, you see, with a specialized purpose. And what uh, charity and independent is also given money by the government. It's illegal, you see, in governments, especially in Britain, to bring into your, your group that's a specific world goal or outside goal. It's illegal to have a position in authority in the governmental system of Britain, and yet common purpose has been scandal after scandal by bringing top members of various government programs. And the government also is putting big money towards the so-called charity. Now, why would... Government doesn't give money to anything that's not part of the same agenda, the one agenda, you see. Or else anybody could get funding from the government. But all the radicalization you've experienced in many, many years across the world, in Canada too and elsewhere, has been funded by your government also, giving to radical organizations. So that's called an agenda, folks, you see. If you try to do something that was against it all and, and set up with, with no ill intentions or, or violence and so on, you wouldn't get a penny. In fact, you'd be blasted by all the other uh, media and charities which they own. Founded in 1989 by its current chief executive, Julia Middleton, it seems to improve the way organizations and society work together, you see, by developing all kinds of leaders through a program of diverse challenges and approaches. So to, to create, then they grab young youngsters, and train them for their roles as leaders in society. This was their goal when they funded and set up the Soviet system. Remember, the Soviet really means ruled by councils. 
And for every strata of society and work area, you'd have your particular NGO, but all hand-picked and trained by the Soviet top Politburo. To speak on your behalf, you see, and guide you all. Well, same thing here. It's a more perfected system. And uh, now go on to this article. I have to rattle through them quickly because there are quite a few articles here. It's up to you if you really want to know to, to read them. Nothing sexy about it. Nothing with sexy scandals and stuff to titillate you. This is the dry facts of life. And most folk have been trained, and I mean trained from birth, not to look at hard, dry, unpleasant facts. Always seek the happy side of things. Turn your back on the oncoming train. Right? One of the big players, remember, wrote all about it, what they were going to do, and they'd done it all. A world ruled by experts who will speak with authority, and you're trained to obey authority, you see. And also, they would train the public to be egocentric. They would always seek pleasure and, and shy away from anything that was painful, including all mental pain, like, oh, that's bad news, I don't want to hear that, don't tell me that's bad, bad, bad. How many times have you heard that? See, it's been awfully successful. So the Levison Inquiry, Levison, he was the top uh, judge, I suppose, that uh, was given the so-called inquiry to bring in the end of free speech. Except the authorized ones that were radical, uh, that they wanted to, to push. And it's mainly, again, too, for those in few journalists left who could put a comment out here and there uh, that might give you a clue of what's really happening. That's all ended, just as legal that we see. Same in Australia, the same, at the same time. One of his pals in Australia did the same thing. But says, uh, but the Daily Mail dossier raises disturbing questions about the influence of people who know best, you see. And this is going back to 2012. This ties in what I'm talking about. It's been an extraordinary week for the BBC as it tears itself apart over one of the most catastrophic journalistic errors of modern times. False allegations of paedophilia against an elderly Tory party grandee have led to the resignation of the Director General. The possible demise of the flagship Newsnight programme, that's the one that's all pro staying in Europe, uh, the paying out of substantial libel damages and, worst of all, perhaps a shattering blow to BBC's news Reputation for integrity. I don't know what kind of integrity they're talking about. See, that's, this was meant to happen. It was a setup to, to do this, to, to again stop folk who were doing their own checking of facts and what was really happening from talking about it or writing about it. It's far better than you can't discuss anything that's banned. You see? Because that would get everybody ticked off. So you, you've got to give them what appears to be a reason for the history books. You see? And so I won't go through it all. But I'll put all these articles up tonight, remember, as I always do, for you to look up yourself. And you can definitely uh, come to your own conclusion on it all. I'll also put up the history of the European Union. It's awfully important. Because especially when, you, when you've listen to my talks over years and you'll see all the stuff that they've left out 
especially of those behind it. And it says the European Union is a geopolitical entity, a geopolitical entity, covering a large portion of the, the EU or the European continent, founded upon numerous treaties, international treaties again, and has undergone expansions that have taken it from six member states to 28, a majority of the states in Europe, which is always its intention, remember. Distinct from the ideas of federation, confederation or customs union, the main development of the European Union has depended on a supranational foundation to make war unthinkable and materially impossible. And they're all members of NATO. <laughs> and reinforced democracy, as enunciated by Robert Schuman under the leaders in the European Declaration of 1951. And the Schuman Declaration of 1950. This principle was at the heart of the Europeans' coal and steel community, which is called the ECSC in 1951. That's the, how they brought, that was a technique. And it wasn't really the technique. This was what they used to bring it all in, to unite the whole of Europe and then give a, a super parliament. The principle was at the heart of the European coal and steel community. The Treaty of Paris, 1951, and the later Treaties of Rome, all these treaties, 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 uh, which established the European economic community. It's just about trading, that's all it's about. It's, that was a big lie, you see. But they mention here, after World War II, even during World War II, and afterwards, part of the deal of uh, the, you know, giving Britain and other countries big, big, massive loans to reconstruct, uh, which all had to pay back, of course, through the IMF. That's part of the reason they set the, all that up and all the rest of it, uh, was that uh, Britain would deindustrialize, and that they would secretly put up institutions necessary to integrate all the countries of Europe into one under one government, basically. Anyway, it says here, Eisenhower uh, wrote about it. it says, and the European Atomic Energy Com- Community, both the ECSC, all the, the, the coal and steel industry, and the Atomic Energy Committee, right, were later incorporated into the European Union, while the EAEC maintains a distinct legal identity despite sharing members and institutions. Then had the Maastricht Treaty, 1992, created by the European Union with its pillar system, including foreign and home affairs alongside the European community. This in turn led to the creation of the single European currency. (laughs) The euro was launched in 1999, and the Maastricht Treaty has been amended by the treaties of Amsterdam, 97, and Nice, 2001, and Lisbon, 2007. Then they go into some of the pre-1945 idea of a United Europe, right? And I've given talks again about that. Winston Churchill actually said in a book uh, written by his personal secretary during World War II that Churchill said this war uh, was great and that it would help realize their, their common dream of United Europe. And I've read parts of that book out over the year, many years ago. Anyway, it goes, goes through this stuff and how they did it all through these free trades. And, but there's more, a lot of lies in here too. A lot of things can... Remember, most lies are, are, are given by omission of the organizations behind it. The real organizations behind it. All right? 
so you can read it for yourself. If, if you're really keen, if not, go back to emotive. Things get your emotions all in turmoil and get angry and you get shows, circuses. It's up to you. That is your choice. And also put up to the European Coal and Steel Community link, which will give you uh, some, uh, again, more back, background about that and how they, they did it all. Because the dollar at the top, the top guys and tops at the, the big unions were all um, Royal uh, International Affairs CFR members. And then you go into the treaties of the European Union as well. I'll put that one up as well to show you how it was done. The reason I'm telling you all this is because the Trans-Pacific Partnership, Trans-Pacific Partnership, which is, is, has been done basically, uh, also incorporated other treaties that U.S., Canada, Mexico, and our country signed years ago, and after another rest of it, free trade agreements. It, so those ones are now updated into Trans-Pacific Partnership uh, with, again, new funding all again to all the taxpayers of these countries. Funding it all for the third world countries, supposed third world countries, so the big corporations uh, can set up over there too and get cheap labour, but also to, to bring you in under common laws and rules, which changes your domestic common laws and rules. You see? That's what happened to Europe. And that's what's going to happen. That's it's already happening to all the rest of us too. Anyway, the next link. The Economic Union told ExxonMobil that the Trans-Pacific Partnership, the TTIP, would aid global expansion documents reveal. And the trade chief told all giant and secret talks a free trade deal could address its concerns over regulations restricting activities in developing countries. And all the, these top members and CEOs are part of the big club that also belong to the trilaterals and uh, CFR, Royal Institute for International Affairs. And that's why they're all on board with this global agenda. And I'll put this up tonight too for those who want to see it. But anyways, the European Union's Trade Commissioner told the multinational oil company, ExxonMobil, a major free trade deal being negotiated by the US would help remove obstacles to fossil fuel developments in Africa and South America. So they're going to lose nothing as they tax you into the ground in the US, Canada, Britain and elsewhere. For even heating your home. And everything's to skyrocket. It already is skyrocketing in price, as you well know. All energy. That goes back to the 1930s when they came up with, uh, with uh, the whole idea of taxing you for the energy you use. Because everything is energy. Your, your money represents the energy that you put out under labor to earn it. And you can think of all these things. So in a meeting in Brussels, October 2013, Carol de Gucht told the firm that the Transatlantic Trade and Investment Partnership could address its concerns about regulations in developing countries that restrict the company's activities, etc., etc. And you can read it for yourself again. And then you have from Reuters, the EU trade chief says the US campaign rhetoric won't stop the TTIP trade talks. Uh, So the commissioner, Cecilia Malmstrong, addresses a news conference in the publication of the EU proposal on sustainable development and negotiations for a TTIP in Brussels, Belgium, November 6, 2015. And it says, so Washington's uh, Europe's top trade officials, official plans an ambitious push 
to seamless sweeping U.S.-European free trade deal this year, even as bitter U.S. presidential primary races soar or sour voter sentiment towards the trade. So, in other words, these must-bees will go on regardless. And I mean must-bees. It's interesting, going way back into religion and to Kabbalah and uh, Judaism or Talmudism, make it so, or, and Salah, of course, these, these terms, then to their prayers and supplications, or even demands from the deity. And then to Freemasonry, of course, that also has the Grand Master on certain uh, orders he's given, the followers, make it so. And you go into the CFR, Royal International Affairs, with their inner party at the very top, very secretive, and their outer party, that's all guys from the media and all the rest of it that do their bidding, you see, and their round tables, societies, and so on, all belongs to them. Uh, but the, the inner parties make it so again. Here's the orders, make it so, make it happen, you see. Quite, it's quite amazing. You don't get coincidences, just coincidences, over and over again about important things. So these TTIP trade talks uh, won't matter, regardless of who gets in, it doesn't matter, in the U.S. With many candidates, including Republican frontrunner Donald Trump and Democrat Bernie Sanders, voicing strong opposition to the Trans-Pacific Partnership and its trade pact, its European counterpart still under negotiation has largely flown under the radar. European Union Trade Commissioner Cecilia Malmström told reporters on a visit to Washington Wednesday that major negotiating rounds for the Transatlantic Trade and Investment Partnership were scheduled for April and July, with more informal meetings in March, June and May, etc., etc. So it goes on regardless of the circuses they give you, you see. And then France, this is other article, sees the EU-Canada agreement as a template for TTIP. Quite, uh, it's quite, uh, everything's very funny to me actually because it's all predictable. And perhaps would like it to copy, paste key passages from the EU Canada Free Trade Agreement concluded last week, particularly those relating to the arbitration court that is such a controversial issue in Europe. And uh, this is uh, your active. France reports, that's a link you can check out for yourself. Minister of State for Foreign Trade, uh, Matthias uh, uh, Fickle, welcomed the fact the French proposal for an international investment court, (laughs) international investment court, was largely included in the Comprehensive Economic and Trade Agreement, that's CETA, concluded Monday 29th April between the European Union and Canada. And then it's got EU-Canada change the ISD's clause and uh, get closer to gold-plated trade deal. That means it's written in stone, not just the gold, you see. Gold for the ones who, who plan it all and run it all. And you can see in this article and other articles too that it's all meant to bring in the supranational institutions which eventually amalgamate, and actually they're already, already part of it, of a super-government system, which will ride over all national governments. You see? Remember, the, the goal of the Royal for International Affairs, and before that the groups that they call themselves different names, was always world government. 
where their big boys at the top own the money system in the world. They own the trade of the world. They own all the rights to all necessary ores, etc., for mining, yada, yada, yada. Foodstuffs or through their agri-food businesses. The whole, everything you need to survive on, they will own. Of course, there'll be beneficent dictators, you see. Like Solomon, all that nonsense. Beneficent, you see. And... Um, it won't be nasty for you. No. Well, look at communism. That's what I thought they'd get in communism, too, in the Soviet Union. But anyway, through all their different trade agreements and so on, uh, all their big boys end up. And they're, they're front men, too, even they're big boys, because they're all part of this one association which they cannot cross. Psychopaths cannot cross it. They can, they can work together, all right. They can certainly work together, where it's in their own personal interest, each individually. It's worked awfully well up until now, too. So anyway, uh, read these articles because it's really uh, an insight into all the things they did in Europe to get the European Union going under a super parliament based in Brussels with all the other governments and their little satrapies underneath them now, like little little satrapies of the old British Empire. It's the same deal. Now Britain itself is part of the satrapy. Uh, Read it yourself. And next week, hopefully, I've got time, I'll go through a whole lot of other stuff to do with this as well. I know it's boring. It's not exciting. If you want that, go and do something that gets you all angry or, or happy or, 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 you know, or fascinated, especially fascination. You know, you wouldn't believe how many folk are deserting reason and going off on the most amazing topics. There's something planned for them to, to, to escape into. Because they can't handle truth and the scary things that are happening in the world. Remember, too, you can buy the books and discs from CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. And you can donate, hopefully, donate something to keep me just ticking along here. Um, I'm not selling you nothing else. And I'm trying to give you truth as well. At least was put out there under investigation as well, scrutinized to find out the facts. Because believe you me, it's the hardest thing to do is to find facts and truth in this matrix. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God or your gods go with you.